Christy says no. I don't. <laughs> um, I might be dating myself. Anybody have a bread box at home? Okay, a few people. Anybody not know what a bread box is? Good. good. Okay, I have a bread box on my counter, uh, which is a good place for a bread box. I would love to tell you that that's where we put our bread, but realistically what we put is the empty bag with just the heel of the bread. <laughs> in there, and after a couple of weeks, it gets stale, and then we toss it. We're just... That, my Lehman family tradition. Anybody relate? Okay, good. There's at least one others like us, maybe two. Uh, speaking of tradition, speaking of bread, favorite Christmas bread, do you have one? Cinnamon rolls. Okay, go ahead. Just shout them out. Favorite Christmas bread? Dad's... Who's? Your dad's coffee cake. Good. Raspberry orange? cranberry orange bread. Okay, anybody else? Wow, everybody. Zucchini? Um, orange Danish? Chocolate chip cookies counts as a bread because it rises. Who am I, am I missing anybody? Communion wafers. That's your favorite Christmas bread? Good, we're going to do that today. R- Dick Winter's Fruitcake. Woo! Yeah, that is good. All right, I don't want anybody to feel left out. Favorite? Huh? Oh, you said strudel. You get it from Odessa? Okay, well, you and I, we're going to have to thumb wrestle because this last Christmas season, over the last couple of months, my family and I discovered the cinnamon streusel bread from Costco. The brand is Innkeeper. It's one of the few times like the, the sample system has worked in my family. Normally, I just eat it for lunch. But, oh, I took a bite, and I went and bought a loaf. And then another loaf, and then another. I'll get there, okay? Oh. Like you toast it, okay, which you should do for bread, obvious. You lather it in butter. Now, don't just put a little bit on there. You lather it. Irish butter is actually the best, if I'm being transparent, You take a bite, and it melts in your mouth. Mmm. Somebody say that. Mmm. You guys can feel it, can't you? Mmm. So you take a bite, you let it melt in your mouth, and then you enjoy. But enjoy is not near strong enough a word. When I'm eating the cinnamon streusel bread from Costco, it's a heavenly experience. (laughs) There is something holy about it. Pass the bread. Well, I almost brought a loaf for each person, but wait, 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 wait. So bear with me here, okay? This past Monday, I kid you not, this is a glimpse into my inner being. This past Monday, I was sitting up in my office thinking to myself, as a pastor, as as a Christian, would it be wrong to ask God to put a fresh loaf of cinnamon streusel bread into my bread box every morning? That's serious. I was thinking that. I was going through like the whole ask, seek, knock, and you know, you ask, you'll get what you want and all. I was going through that. We need an entire loaf every day. They're not, they're not big loaves. I mean, you know, about like this. But when I open a bag, which I usually pull from the freezer because when we go to Costco, we don't just buy one. We buy more than one. I'll leave it at that. When I open a bag, it, it, the family hears the little rustling of the, pre- of the, the plastic because uh, in all seriousness, the loaf is gone within about 30 minutes. It's that good. 
So again, sitting there on Monday up in my office wondering, would it be bad to ask God for one loaf a day, just one, put into my bread box, the holy bread box? I started thinking, God, this would save me money if you did that. Just a few pennies under $2,200 if I had a loaf a day. You know what? I, I could buy more bread with, I mean, I would not covet any more bread ever if God would just give me one loaf, warm bread, in my bread box every single morning. So for those prayer warriors out there, don't pray for that. But my mouth is watering, my stomach's grumbling, and I should probably pray so I can preach. Um, Lord, we're grateful for a chance to gather. We're grateful for the stories that we get to hear that have shaped us um, surrounding our nativities. We're grateful for uh, examples like Dick and Lois who have been married for 50 years that we can look to as, uh, as people of faithfulness in their marriage and faithfulness towards you. Uh, we're, we're grateful, Lord, for the ways in which you teach us, for the ways in which you allow us to be part of your story. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us enter into your story today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and grab a Bible with me. If you've got one, grab your phone, a tablet, wherever you get to God's Word, and turn to Exodus chapter 25. This is the text that we've been camping out in over the last couple of weeks in this sermon series that we've been calling God in a Box, a renewed look at the nativity. So two weeks ago, when we started this sermon series, we compared the Ark of the Covenant, right, this gold plated box. We compared that to the traditional nativity scene, specifically the, the cherubim on top of the gold box, right? And we said that, Miss Marlene, it is so good to see you. We've missed you. So glad you're back. Um, so we said that the cherubim on top of the gold box really uh, could, could be an echo or foreshadowing of the angels on top of the nativity. Because the cherubim, they, they proclaim God's presence. And the angels on the nativity also proclaim God's presence in Jesus. So that was week one. Last week, I told you that I thought Jesus was a big baby, like, like a baby that weighed a lot. And I said that because uh, we looked at the Hebrew word glory, which also could be translated as weighty. And we saw in the story that throughout the Old Testament, anytime people were near the, the Ark of the Covenant, there was a weight to what they were around. And, and there, was a, uh, there, there, was a, there was an oomph to, to being around God's presence. We saw how people would fall down and, and idols would fall down in God's presence. And then uh, the, the worst happened in 586 B.C. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Babylonians and, and the people felt like God had abandoned them. The, the weight was gone. The glory was gone. The Ark was gone. And uh, then Jesus came along and 33 years later, so he's in his ministry and one of his best friends, John, gets to experience life with him and he writes a story about Jesus. And in the beginning of that story, he said, we have seen the glory again. So I, I encouraged us last week, don't walk by a nativity. Don't, don't walk by a, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths without feeling the weight of God's glory. Now this morning, we return to the text in Exodus 25, but I'm not going to read it like I did the last two weeks. I actually have you open it uh, to, to, to the 25th chapter so that you could answer a question for me. Okay, What is in the box? What is in the, the Ark of the Covenant? You can find the answer in either verse 16 or 21. The tablets, the Ten Commandments, right? That's, that's what it says in there. Yeah, anything else according to that text? Not, not according to that text. 
Not yet. Don't jump. You'll get there. I'm, I'm getting there. You, that's the punchline. <laughs> there was more. There was actually bread in the box. This gold-covered, cherubim-hovering, God-on-top-of-box was also a bread box. If you flip back in your, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16, go ahead and flip there. As you're turning, for those that don't know the story, the Israelites were God's chosen people. They ended up enslaved to the Egyptians for over 400 years. They cried out for a deliverer. God sent Moses. Moses said, let my people go. God orchestrated it. The people started heading out of Egypt, right? And then there was this, this phenomenal Red Sea escape. And then there was this song of deliverance that was sung by Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. Anybody? Prince of Egypt? Best movie ever made. My favorite movie ever. Okay, okay. so in in the scriptural story, Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston didn't sing it. Moses actually sang the song of deliverance. And the encore was sung by his sister Miriam with a bunch of other Israelite women shaking tambourines. It was quite the party. And then not too many days later, the Israelites start grumbling about food. Food. They had just witnessed some of the greatest miracles that God could have, could have shown them. And they started saying, I want to be back in Egypt. The food was better. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Right? And their complaining caught God's attention. In fact, the glory of the Lord showed up. Exodus chapter 16, verse 6 and following. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, not us. I mean, what have we done that you should complain about us? Then Moses added, the Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard all your complaints against him. Now, what have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. So Moses and Aaron, Moses said to Aaron, announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. That's a repeated word in this section. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out towards the wilderness, and there they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. So they complained, and they got meat and bread. I will find out that the meat was quail. Anybody ever ate quail? Few of you, I have never ate quail, but I've eaten the bread that God gave them. It's the cinnamon streusel bread from Costco. (laughs) Manna from heaven, right? All joking aside, here's a little description of the manna, Exodus 16, verse 13. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. Now, when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. Moses told them, it's the food that the Lord your God has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. Story continues a little bit. We get to verse 31. The Israelites called the food manna, which literally means, what is it? It was white like coriander seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. These were holy flosted flakes. They were. They were holy flosted. That's the second time I said flosted. 
<laughs> this is a holy frosted flakes, and just enough for each family, for each day, no more, no less, right? That's the same reason that I just want one loaf of cinnamon streusel bread a day. I don't want to be greedy. <laughs> the precedent. The people in the Bible were greedy, some of them. Okay, Exodus 16, verse 19 and 20. Then Moses told them, don't keep any of it till morning. But some did not listen and kept some of it until the morning. But by then it was... Full of maggots. And it had a terrible smell. And Moses, rightly so, was very angry with them. Kind of reminds me of when I forget the heel in the bag of bread and stick it in a bread box for a few weeks or months. Never got to the maggot point, but we have grown penicillin. In our text, this bread from heaven, it was a staple for the Israelites. It was their food. It was their sustenance until they ate from the crops of the promised land. Joshua chapter 5 says, While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. And the very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from the time on, from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. Manna. Okay? Enough for the daily needs of the people, no more, no less. It was the first superfood. I mean, for those health nuts, uh, my professor, A.J. Swoboda, whose book I'm kind of shaping this series out of, he writes this. There's a Jewish myth that continues to this day that the bread was so perfectly suited to meet their nutritional needs that at no point anywhere in the desert did the Jews defecate. That's, that's, that's the myth, okay? You don't know what that means. It means poo-poo. Um, manna, he says, was perfect for their needs. No leftovers. And it was manna that was in the ark. This bread box from heaven. Exodus 16, verse 33 and 34, Moses said to Aaron, get a jar and fill it with two quarts of manna, then put it in a sacred place before the Lord to preserve it for all future generations. Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded Moses, and he eventually placed it in the Ark of the Covenant, in front of the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. All right, so so far we know that there was the terms of the covenant, the big 10 in there. We know that there was manna. And if you're in the Christian scriptures, uh, what we call the New Testament, the author of Hebrews was talking about the old form of worship, and he reminded the people of this bread in the box. Chapter 9, verse 3, there was this curtain, and behind the curtain there was a second room called the Most Holy Place, and in that room there were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. The author says, Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now, he says. That's because I've spent the last two weeks explaining them in detail. So, the ark of the covenant. God in a gold covered box, the bread box of heaven. Isn't this fun? I think so. All right. Does this point us back at all to Advent? Does this point us back at all to Christmas? Does this point us all back at all to the renewed look at the nativity? By week three of the series, you should be knowing James is going to say yes. It points us back. All right. The traditional Christmas 
text that we would preach on, teach on, read around the Christmas tree is found in Luke chapter 2. You'll know this if you spend any time at all um, in or around church. Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Okay, not a trick question. What did Mary and Joseph lay Jesus in? A manger. Now, for us, this is commonplace. We know this. We see it on just about every nativity that we, that we have in here and that we walk around. But for the original listeners, they may not have picked up on that. So the author repeats it two more times. In verse 12, the angels are talking to the shepherds. They say, and you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And the shepherds then hurried into town. Verse 16, they hurried to the village, found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. You guys know what a manger is, don't you? It's a box. It's a feed box. It's a box that cows and pigs and animals eat out of. The, the Greek word is photony, and it literally means a, a feeding box or a crib for cattle. This isn't the romantic cradle that we have in mind when we think of, when we think of a manger. My professor says the, the Greek writers of the, of the Gospels knew what they were doing because a photony is, is what cows eat out of. Jesus was born into a feed trough, he writes. This baby was born to be eaten. And a few sentences later, he calls him the new bread from heaven. Now, if we're talking nativity scene, if we're tying it back to the gold box that happens to be a bread box from heaven with manna in it, life-sustaining manna, I mean, the connections are pretty clear, right? Now, just in case it's not clear enough, Jesus makes it even more clear. When he grows up during his ministry, there's a couple of times he, he threw really big picnics for people, right? 4,000 plus and 5,000 plus. We talked about some of those the last series we were in. Listen to excerpts of Jesus' conversation with people the day after the feeding of the 5,000 plus. John chapter 6, verse 25 and following. They found Jesus on the other side of the lake, and they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Because he had taken a boat overnight. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. So don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given, the seal of, has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he sent. So they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Oh, and this is where it starts getting real. Okay, it starts tying back to Luke 2, and it starts tying back to Exodus chapter 16. What can you do? They said, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus, I don't know what his tone of voice would have been when he responded. But Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to, to the world. And sir, they said to him, give us that bread every day. 
I'm not the only one asking for bread every day, okay? It's in here. Verse 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. They will never be thirsty, all right? Jump down to verse 41. The people began to murmur in disagreements because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and his mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? And Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. I mean, talk about full circle. The Israelites in the wilderness are complaining about bread, and here we see it again. Verse 47, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Verse 58, I am the bread true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna. But those who eat this bread will live forever. I mean, there's times where a text just doesn't need explaining. True bread from heaven. This was Jesus. Rewind 33 years. He's in a feed trough, a baby born to be eaten. Rewind a whole lot more years, and you've got God in a box. The angel saying this is God's presence in the box, a bread that sustained. And it gives us a new way to look at the nativity, doesn't it? At least I hope it does. So here's my question, and it's probably more so to me than to you, so I'll let you listen in on my conversation with me, myself, and I, because I asked myself this question this morning. I told you at the beginning of the message that I have found a new bread, Cinnamon streusel bread from Costco. It's the innkeeper bread. It's $5.49. It's on the end cap if you want to go get some. If you want me to get some for you, I have a three loaf charging fee. Um, Getting sidetracked. Here's like the legitimate question I have to ask myself. Do I crave Jesus as much as I crave this bread? Do I wake up in the morning longing to be with him as much as I long to have that piece of warm toast? Do I do this year-round or just during the Christmas season when we're supposed to? You know, we've had numerous people share their nativities over the last three weeks. Uh, not all of them have had angels. Not all of them have had shepherds. Not, some of them are really light. They're not all weighty. But every single one of them has had Jesus. And almost every single one of them have, has had him in a trough. I, feel, I, I think I've only ever seen one nativity that does not have a baby Jesus, and that's actually out in our foyer. We need to take care of that. For those who haven't seen, you can look at it on the way out. Every nativity has Jesus in there. You know, and I've suggested over the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, that you be reminded of God's presence when you see the angels. And last week I said, you know, be reminded of the weight of glory wrapped in strips of cloth. Today I would just ask us, to ask ourselves, is the bread in, in the manger enough for us? Is the bread enough to sustain us daily, hourly, minute by minute? Will Jesus nourish us? Will he perfectly feed us even after December 25th when we start putting our nativities away? 
I realize that we haven't even got to Christmas yet, and I realize it's not my place to tell you how to undecorate your houses, um, but I'm gonna. Um, some of you who shared this morning talked about your nativities being up year-round. I love that, because that's what I'm going to encourage. When you start putting away your nativities for this year, see if you want to keep one out. You know, you could put it in some inconspicuous place, like the top of the bread box, but there's bread there. You know, put it on a shelf or something, and let it remind you of these last three weeks. Let it call back to memory the fact that God's presence is here among us in Jesus Christ, and there's a weight to that presence. And you know what? That presence is enough for us every single day. I mean, who knows? You may have friends that come over in April or June or, or August and say, did you forget to put that one away? I mean, that's Christmas decorations. You could say, no, I'm just craving my daily bread from heaven. It'd be a great conversation starter. God in a box. Wouldn't you say it's time to keep him out? I would. This morning, as a fitting end to this series, talking about Jesus being the bread of life, we are going to take communion together. Jesus described himself as the bread from heaven. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. I'm going to invite the ushers to come on up. Uh, We're going to pass the elements around, so go ahead and take a cup, take a piece of bread, and hold on to it, uh, because we will take it together. Um. Worship team is going to lead us in a song as, uh, as this is passed, and um, I will pray in just a second. So if you guys, uh, if, if you get through the section and you run out, we're going to pass all of it around. Okay, so let me, uh, let, me, let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this message that we have heard today, this story, this reminder about you being the bread of heaven. Uh, Lord, I confess that I don't crave you near enough as I should, and I pray that you would help change that. Lord, be preparing our hearts even now to partake in you as the bread of heaven.